0: Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Toshi.
1: Hi.
0: And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Dr. Parks. Oh, He's- man, I went back to Dr. Parks. Hi. Hey, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Is a zoom slap on your wrist yeah for that the views expressed on let's get psyched are those of the speaker they do not represent the university of california uc riverside's counseling and psychological services or ucr's school of medicine well on today's show we're going to talk about homelessness and we're very honored to have as our special guest journalist Chris Walker. Chris Walker is a writer based in Denver, Colorado, who specializes in narrative long-form reporting. His work has spanned four continents, ranging from investigative journalism to arts and culture writing. Chris's stories can be found in The Atlantic, Playboy, The Atavis, Vice, Forbes, NPR, Rock and Ice, Backpacker, Westward, and LA Weekly, among others. In 2020, Chris released his first narrative podcast series, The Syndicate, which peaked at number five in Apple's top shows chart. Thank you, Chris Walker, for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. I, I just want to kind of start out things by asking, what is your, because homelessness is just a gr- big, important issue. And I, th- and, you know, one of the questions uh, for our listeners out there is, why are you talking about your clinicians, your psychologists, your uh, residents? Why are you talking about this? But I think it's very important because we interact with homeless folks. Many clinicians interact with homeless folks quite often. And I think a lot of myths and stereotypes get created, yes, even among clinicians. I've heard many of them myself. And I think it's very important, very important to understand some of the fundamental issues that are leading to homelessness and some of the causes that we can get accurate information, real firsthand reporting. So what has been your particular focus? What has been your experience with homeless folks?
2: Really, my main goal has been elevating the stories and experiences of people experiencing homelessness in the unhoused population. I mean, what you just mentioned with clinicians having frequent interactions with folks experiencing homelessness gives you firsthand insight. But unfortunately, a broad portion of the population would rather just ignore and not deal with the uncomfortable truths and challenges that come with uh, the realization that we have a broad portion of our society that is unhoused. Um, And really, that comes down to a lot of systemic and institutional failings that um, we'd rather not always acknowledge or push out of mind or literally sweep people out of the way. My entry point into the topic was when I joined a weekly newspaper in Denver as a staff writer. And we had been lacking in our homelessness coverage for quite some time. The paper's called Westward. Um, and my editor had pointed out that the other newspapers in town, including the Denver Post, were really also lacking in their coverage of homelessness. There's many reasons for that. There's um, chronic uh, challenges in, in print media, including understaffing and, and just the fact that you can't necessarily have... People covering every single topic, or people become specialized in, say, education, but um, you know that can leave a gap in in terms of covering homelessness. So my editor challenged me in 2015 to take this topic head on, uh, and that really embarked me on a on a four year journey of um, getting to know the homeless community in Denver, but uh, also everyone from politicians to experts um, to uh, nonprofit advocates that were all trying to
0: wrap their heads around how to improve this space. Well, again, I'm just gonna ask one more question. I could throw it out to um, the co-hosts. What do you? What did you find? Was the most surprising thing that you learned, and that you feel is the biggest misconception among the general population about homeless folks?
2: Oh gosh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I think let's start with the stereotype of who's homeless. So when you say homeless person, what pops into your mind? I think for a lot of people, they're thinking of a scraggly guy, probably, unkempt, on the sidewalk, uh, maybe begging for change, um, sleeping in tents under highway underpasses. And certainly that does represent a portion of the unhoused population. But once you start really talking to members of the homelessness, the homeless community, and you start talking to experts and advocates, you realize that that's actually a fairly small portion of the overall homeless population. Um, And that's because homelessness includes not just people living on the street, but also people that... Are just generally unhoused. And that can include people that have lost housing or a job or have left home because of domestic violence and are crashing on friends' cou- couches. That can include people that are living in vehicles. Um, and then even people that end up on the streets, it can be, it's actually generally for a fairly short amount of time. And so that image of, the guy who's been on the same street corner for 30 years and, as I said, you know, is is unkempt and uh, is prone to sometimes screaming at the sky. Um, that That is actually not representative of the general unhoused population.
0: And as far as like causes, um, did you... How did you get your data? Did you talk to folks and then did they say what they thought the, the, what they reported as the cause? And how did that gel with what most people believe to be the cause um, based on what your findings?
2: So there's individual anecdotes and then there's statistics. I mean, everyone has a story to tell and, um, if you show the empathy to understand how someone ended up being unhoused, um, they're sure to have their own origin story, but you have to be careful to, if you're going to generalize that one anecdote to the entire population. Luckily, there are plenty of advocacy groups, researchers, experts that compile uh, more representative statistical data. About how people end up unhoused. Um, in Denver, I wrote an article for my paper um, called Debunking Six Myths Around Homelessness. One of them we already talked about, kind of who is a who, how the guy on the street isn't necessarily representative of most people experiencing homelessness. Um, but one of my key sources for uh, bringing statistics into this conversation uh, was really good work by two organizations in Denver. One of them is called um, the Denver Foundation, and the other is the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative. the The latter conducts a annual point in time homelessness count. They actually gather hundreds of volunteers and canvass the entire city to try to count. Each and every person who's experiencing homelessness. And while they're doing that, they also administer a survey um, to collect data about uh, not just demographic um, data, but also how people ended up in that state, um, if they're self reporting issues around mental illness or substance abuse, uh, how economic data as well. Were they working? Um, there's actually a surprising amount of people experiencing homelessness that are day laborers. And you wouldn't necessarily think of say, um, some of the day laborers that gather that commonly gather outside home depots to, uh, to get day labor work as experiencing homelessness. But some of those folks don't actually have a, a home.
1: So, so there's, there's, a. a... Joseph Chammy article in, in Yale Global um, that talks about, which I think it's a Yale publication that, that says that there's nowhere in the U.S., this is from 2017, there's nowhere in the U.S. where someone can work um, the federal minimum wage at the time, which was 7.25, and at that time, where, where someone could work that and actually afford a one-bedroom apartment at fair market um, rate and And this kind of brings up what you were alluding to, which I think surprised us in conversations we'd had with you before, which was about the working population that's experiencing homeless homelessness, and then um how the what you said earlier, which is the the total unhoused population doesn't look like quote, the guy on the street. Can you flesh that out? What does it look like?
2: Right, so. Some of the findings of these two organizations that I just mentioned, um, they asked people experiencing homelessness as part of this annual count. And and the last data that I have here is uh, 2017. Um, But 36% of people they interviewed were living in their car. 34% were living with friends or family. 14% stayed in shelters. 8% stayed somewhere else. And there's no asterisk there. So I don't know what that means, but only 6% reported living on the street every night. <laughs> so I, th- that's, those are some numbers that kind of illustrate what I was talking about earlier. Okay. Could somewhere else be the camping? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I I'm, I'm just looking, I'm just seeing this now. And so I, I'm not sure what they mean by somewhere else. Um, but the other thing is the duration of people of how long people experienced homelessness. Um, and again, going back to that stereotype, you tend to think of uh, some would less charitably describe um people living on the street as is almost like a dereliction of working and and um you know, that good old American Puritan ethic and uh, that they've they've chosen this lifestyle. Um, but the Denver Foundation found that uh, people were were, were, uh, were reporting relatively limited periods of homelessness. Um, and in the midst of hard economic times and housing shortages, um, it's also important to rem- remember that you can enter periods of brief periods of homelessness multiple times. It's not just like a one-time thing. Um, so in surveys, reported being homeless one week or less, 15% reported being homeless for a few weeks, 19% for a month, 37% for several months. And so already right there, we have over 50% of respondents. Um, And then only 20% reported experiencing homelessness for a year or more.
0: Yeah, that gels with um, some research that I found that uh, basically a tenth of the population that are of of folks on the street actually utilize, um, you know, shelters. um, And and there's a, you know, and and frequently there's like this basically is kind of a, a certain subset of folks that just use the shelters over and over. And then maybe if we even target those folks, that that could do a huge amount, just just, just that that one So so in my versions. whole time working with uh, folks experiencing
1: homelessness, when I was working for, you know, L.A. County and 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 then as a physician um, working in, you know, psychiatric emergency rooms, uh, I can only think of two people who I distinctly remember as staying in shelters and it was working for them. And one of those people was in a remote past job I had. And they were it was a a kind of like a family. um, But the family had women only. um, So mother and daughters and um, that's important because these places are often sex segregated and It was working for them but these people were really high achieving people they were you know the the daughters were planning on college and they were you know they they were really had it together and it feels like you really have to have it together to be able to make a shelter work for you and it's hard to have it together when you're worried about people stealing your stuff living on the street trying to figure out what your next move is going to be as far as housing health insurance uh, food, all of those things, I know you have some thoughts and experiences on this Chris. I'd be curious to hear um it what keeps folks from using shelters?
2: I'm glad you bring that up because this was actually the entry point into my reporting on homelessness when I joined my paper and got on this beat, Denver was. A little more than two years into a very controversial ordinance that had passed that banned camping citywide, it was a urban camping ban, as it as it was known, and the thinking behind it, from the city's standpoint, was that there was plenty of capacity between city-run and nonprofit-run shelters, which the city helps subsidize, and because on any given night, they could shelter more than 3,000 individuals, there was an opportunity in the city's eyes to uh, to f- basically force everyone into the shelters. And then the idea was, well, now you have centralized locations where people can get job counseling, um, substance abuse counseling. Um, all of these services could just happen in the shelters. The problem was we were hearing all sorts of tales of abuse, um, police constantly harassing people on the streets, and then also this constant question of what prevents some people from wanting to use shelters? And once you start asking around on the streets, as I was doing, you start hearing actually very good reasons for why people didn't want to stay in shelters. They were often unsanitary, so folks had reported frequently... For instance, getting bit by bed bugs. Um, but then much more serious issues that really go down to fundamental civil liberty rights. Uh, as you mentioned, many of these shelters are segregated by sex, um, which makes sense in, in one regard, you know, if you're trying to protect vulnerable women, for instance. Um, but I was meeting folks that were married. And so there were unhoused couples that were married and couldn't actually live together or sleep together. And if they didn't stay in the shelters, they were living illegally. Um, And the term for this that we use is criminalizing homelessness. Um, Other issues included uh, people having their things stolen, um, assaults happening in these shelters, Uh, You do have folks who have experienced plenty of trauma in their lives, and um, being in an environment where you don't feel safe and comfortable and loved and supported by community can just exacerbate any kind of secondary trauma that you're uh, contending with. Let me
1: jump in for a second there. I want to also just make sure that we're making the point that, you know, while it's not always realistic for survivors of trauma to be in a place that's uh, totally loving and warm in, in many of the places they're gonna encounter in the system, you're talking about really basic stuff here. You're not talking about a, a, a super coddling five-star environment is, as the expectation. You're talking about just a safe environment as the expectation. There are so many people we encounter with stories of having violence happen in the shelters and, you know, it's, so so it's not it's not somewhere that even a really high functioning person um, would necessarily be able to navigate safely.
2: Yes, I'm glad you bring that up, too. And I also don't want this to come across as me suggesting that shelters are inherently bad. Um, there, there are certainly advantages to them. Um, Denver happens to be a place that gets very cold in the winter um, and people literally freeze to death out on the streets if they can't get inside and warm. Um, and I've also met countless uh, well-intentioned um, and hardworking uh, shelter operators who um, what I was just bringing up was the fact that, you know, the, the city had taken this very, had drawn this very clear line in the sand. And it turns out that there were a bunch of issues they hadn't considered about why people might not want to use these services.
1: I know, too, um, working at the emergency department at our psych hospital, ETS in Riverside, uh, we encounter a lot of homeless people coming through our doors and I've heard all those stories, all those things, all those reasons you just listed, Chris, as reasons why they don't like to stay at the shelters. It's also can be a dangerous place for trans people as well. Right. And, 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 and I mean, p- folks with trans experience and, and populations uh, that are vulnerable are doing, are getting, um, abused and mistreated, and not just in shelters, to Chris's point, we're not, this is not to say that there's necessarily a problem with the shelters. The problem is in an overtaxed system where basically every node of the system that you experience, every point that you experience, for us, we have a bias towards seeing folks without homelessness or folks without homes as as mental health patients, because we are mental health providers, Chris sees a much broader part of it, but in an overtaxed system. And, and, you know, as my viewpoint, of course, as a, as a mental health provider, every single place you experience along an overtaxed system is going to have problems based solely on the fact that it's overtaxed. So today um, I work in a, in a County hospital and right now, and I discharge someone um, to the street that came from the street and I felt really bad about discharging them. I felt like, man, this person really needs to be in the hospital, but they need to be in the hospital a little less than everyone else. And they're not acutely stating that they're going to kill themselves or someone else. So even though they were actively psychotic, um, even though this person may be pregnant and the pregnancy test hasn't come back yet, we're discharging them. Um, And that's
2: going on everywhere. Right. And I feel like we have to bring up, mental illness, and substance abuse. Because certainly a portion of the homeless population is dealing with those issues. But how much of homelessness is caused by economics and losing jobs and housing shortages and high rent and high housing costs? And how much is caused by these other issues? And Going back to those surveys that I was talking about before, one of the most fascinating insights by the Denver Foundation was interviewing over 800 housed people, uh, which they got through voter records. Um, and they asked them about their perceptions of homelessness. These are just you know everyday people in Denver that they reached on the phone. And they asked them, to what extent, or they, they asked them, to what extent do you think homelessness is caused by unemployment, substance abuse, mental illness, and housing costs? And their reported answers did not match up with what the actual homeless population was self-reporting, uh, when this other organization, the, the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative was interviewing them on the streets. Um, and it, and this disparate, um, proportion here, I mean, I think really reveals just how those of us who are lucky to be housed think of homelessness versus the reality. Um, So just getting into substance abuse and mental illness, because I wanted to bring that up, um, 57% of housed respondents figured that um, that was one of the main causes of homelessness um, and they all, and 53% reported mental illness is the number one cause of homelessness. Um, uh, and, and the reason why those numbers overlap is because I, I think, um, they often go hand in hand and and also both those things can be experienced concurrently. Um, and then when, <laughs> the actual homeless population in Denver was, um, handed these surveys, Uh, 21% reported mental illness as a reason why they were experiencing homelessness, and 18.9% reported substance abuse as a reason why they were experiencing homelessness. Um, Later on, a different organization in 2019 that uh, surveyed over 400 individuals experiencing homelessness the numbers were were pretty similar uh 29% exper- uh, reported experiencing mental illness
1: so chris that that seems really to me that seems very easily psychological right where it's like uh where it's like okay let me other these people right if we're Mm -hmm. if we talk about their mental health challenges and if we talk about their substance use then I'm less on the hook for kind of letting my fellow man go I can paint them as oh this is unworkable you know and and so that seems very clear let let's oh I mean that's maybe that's an arrogant statement to say that seems very clear but let me ask you because you've experienced some of these yourself. And I think it's important to, to kind of let go of some of that othering. So you talked about the camping ban, you yourself as part of a journalism project that you did, you camped um, in these kind of situations where if you're camping in a place that is not exactly condoned for two years. And I understand you also, were, you also experienced um, the shelters yourself.
2: Talk about what that was like I have camped on the streets um with members of Denver's homeless community um and then I also have stayed in the shelters to see what that was like um it's really difficult I mean you're absolutely right that it's the othering is so prevalent I mean it's it's a moral failing of our society when you see how many people don't have homes in a stable environment um and A lot of people don't want to really reckon with um, what that means. Um, It's a completely different experience to just talk to someone as a fellow human being and not bring any judgment into it. Um, Just kind of meet them on their level and just talk to them about how they're doing, how they got to where they are, what their hopes and dreams are, what their struggles are. Um, I mean, these are just people.
0: Yeah, I think it's important um, to to maybe maybe this last few minutes to uh, look at some of the clinical focus and just the, uh, our own kind of uh, uh, you know positions that we have. One of the most common things that I have experienced with folks that I've worked with um, is that homeless, maybe particularly the chronic. People who are chronically homeless, because those are the populations that um, mental health folks uh, deal with the most. They ch- they are choosing to be homeless. I've heard that many many times. And uh, what is I think one of the most important things people can walk away with is that the number one reason for homelessness is high rent and high and and, 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 and housing that's not affordable. And uh, that's the number one reason. But um, how have you? When someone comes to you and says, well, they they choose to be homeless, and I've talked to them, and they don't want to do this, they don't want to do that, they don't want to go to shelters, and they don't want treatment and things, so that they choose to be... What is your response when you hear that, Chris?
2: There are some people like that, and there are even, quote-unquote, homeless gangs. Um, and it's just like any population of people, you're going to have so many different perspectives and so many different reasons for being in that situation. Um, people who choose to be homeless, I find, are pretty far and pretty pretty rare um so I mean it's it's not to say that that those folks don't exist and you know frankly maybe there are somewhat romantic reasons for just kind of eschewing the system and doing it your own way um but uh yeah I mean it, it's also just so complicated when it comes to things like housing and you know we haven't gotten and we haven't got into, actual solutions for homelessness, but that's just as complicated. Um, you know, there's there's a philosophy called housing first, which is um, somewhat controversial among more conservative folks. The idea that like with the, especially these chronically homeless individuals who actually cost society a lot, just due to the frequency that they end up in hospitals and um, in, in various emergency services, it's actually just cheaper to put them in an apartment. Um, And some of these programs have shown that their rate of returning to states of homelessness are actually fairly low. If you, if you give them proper support,
1: that's I'm going to jump in because we're ending here. And I think that's an excellent point. I want to kind of highlight that point as something we can end on. Um, There was a, there was a, a large study that was done on, uh, healthcare ROI or return on investment in different countries, and what they found was that countries that maximize their ratio of social services spending to healthcare spending, meaning they invest in things like housing, their populations experiencing homelessness, have better healthcare ROI. So it's actually saving them money. Um, but but I think you know we let's let's just end on kind of. The idea that although we probably, and especially on on our podcast as mental health providers, we're talking about some of the populations experiencing the most difficulty, that most of this problem is people like us with economic dif- difficulty in a country that is uh, increasingly so expensive as to be unlivable for much of the population.
2: I think that's right. And I think that we have to prioritize this as something as a population of people that we care about. And and hopefully some of the statistics that I've given about how most people experiencing uh, homelessness, it's actually for short periods of time and it's not sort of the, the stereotypical guy on the street like we were talking about, um, that will add some more compassion for using more resources to help out these people that are really in need. And I feel like helping those most in need is, what a society is
0: rightfully judged for. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We have talked with journalist Chris Walker as our special guest to talk about homelessness. Thank you, Chris, for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me on. If you wanna learn more about Chris's current and upcoming projects, you can navigate to chrisallenwalker.com, that's A-L-L-A-N, that's the Allen part if you're wondering. Thank you also to our co-hosts, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi, Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucy.gmail.com and you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes and our producer is Elliot Fong. If I've been your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks, tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.